Hello, my finest friends. Welcome to another edition of the Rahalastaba Book Club, Rahalastabaka. Uh, there's no duck in the background this week. I know that was the best thing about last week's book club, but we, you know we can't fake those kind of things. They have to happen organically. Um, this is a fantastic interview with the brilliant Rachel Paris and her fantastic book advice from Strangers, which I heartily recommend as a book or an audio book. Uh, as always, I listen to the audio book because I can't read. I do this book club, but I can't read. Um, do keep listening. Uh, next week's guest is going to be Matt Winning talking about Hot Mess, if you want to read that book in advance. Do spread the news about this uh, book club to anyone who you think enjoys books and would like to hear me talk to the authors. You're also welcome to recommend books you think I might like as well. I will probably ignore you. Anyway, let's sit back, relax, and enjoy Rahalastaba Bucker with the fantastic Rachel Paris. Hello and welcome once again to the Rahalastapa Book Club. I'm very excited to be joined by the marvellous Rachel Paris, who has written a book called Advice from Strangers. Hello, Rachel. Hello. I just want to apologise for the sounds you can hear in the background. That is my son. It's a beautiful sound. And if anyone has a problem with it, the beautiful gurgling of a tiny human child, then you know, <laughs> I can understand. They're pretty annoying. I was up. Wait till they're four years old. I was up all oh, night God. with my, my son who thought he was going to be sick but wasn't sick but still had to I had to stay up all night with him um, I've been but it's been very fractious in the herring household <laughs> you know all about not I can tell I can tell from the tone it's, it's a lot um but anyway look like I'll, I'll, adv- I'll ask you some advice about that uh, from your book I um ah oh, hello um what I, I really enjoyed the book. It's fa- fabulous and uh, very funny and very entertaining. I thought when I got it, it was going to be, you know, a frothy, funny, silly book. You've come up with a good uh, hook for it. Uh, and I've got no problem with that. I was looking forward to that. But it's actually <laughs> surprisingly, uh, as well as being very funny, it's, it's very serious, some very serious stuff in it and uh, some very personal stuff in it as well. Well, yeah, yeah. Um... You're not the only one. I mean, I don't know what kind of book I intended to write. <laughs> but I have spelt, I have spent most of my comedy career being told that I'm not a natural comedian and that I don't look like a comedian and I don't sound like a comedian. So it wasn't a total surprise that the book I wrote wasn't a completely comedic book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I just sort of, I just sort of ended up writing what I wanted to write about and what I felt I knew about. And yeah, not all of it not all of it was funny but to be fair not all of my comedy shows are all funny so I guess it's because someone tackling me we, we, we might mention what the sort of things are down the road but the, some of the issues that are tackling there some people might think oh I'll devote a whole book to that or I'll, I'll write a, a memoir about that so in but in a sense it's sort of it's it, it, it's sort of so surprising because you sort of think oh yeah I can see what this this is a neat the, well, let's explain what the, the, the concept of the book is. So tell, tell us how the book came about. and then. So, yeah, the neat premise is basically, uh, like a publisher said, would you like to write a book and have you got any ideas? And the idea that I had was that I had, from a previous comedy tour for a year, I asked all my audience members for genuine little bits of life advice for me, which I got them to write down on little slips of paper. Uh, and I wove them into each show at the time. This was 2017. Uh, but then I kept them all. So I'd sort of, they'd served their purpose in my live work. And then when it came to thinking of what can I write a book about, I thought, well, I have got this, this like cardboard box full of 
bits of paper from strangers all over the country with random advice on. I thought there's something in that, isn't there? So yeah, each chapter is a genuine real bit of life advice given by a stranger with no context. And then I use that as a leaping off point. So it's not always just responding to the advice. So like something about, um, you know, when in doubt, wing it becomes a chapter about the conservatives wing, winging their way through COVID. Um, so yeah, it just serves as like a jumping off. Yeah, but then it becomes this rather charming and moving exploration of your life of COVID, uh, of some things you've gone through. But but you know, and I think what's terrific about it, uh, as you know, it's it's a it's a very good book. I think especially for young women, but also for fifty four year old men. Uh, oh. <laughs> I'll need I'll need that quote for the paperback. <laughs> okay, <laughs> because you know it's a it's it's great advice in there, but but it's it becomes this almost fractured autobiography as well because we we learn so much about you and then and uh, and I think it's it's the openness and uh, with all of it you know and even when you're being funny you're very open but um, talking about losing your virginity and what what that even means or talking about periods or um, even. Um, having pockets in female clothing which i ended up talking to maria bamford about on, on the oh really last week. I love yeah, she, she um yeah she I, I i asked her a question about what if she went into a chrysalis and could come out as anything what would she come out with and she said she would have a she would have a pocket because no, no <laughs> none of her clothes have right size pockets so i said yeah i've been reading rachel's book so i know all about that which, I, which wasn't something yeah. i knew about so yeah, it's 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 interesting because you, I think that's that's what's sort of surprising about it. But that's it's almost it's almost a little bit blindsiding because it's it starts off thinking I know what I'm getting here, and then suddenly whoa, okay, yeah, this is this yeah, is, uh, is going to be a different I book than I thought. Few people have said yeah, a few people yeah. have said that. I think I, I was I did choose the order quite carefully, yeah, on purpose, not to trick people exactly, but you know to to start off with a lighter one and then get quite immediately into a feminist angle and to keep going funny and serious, funny and serious and long and short, partly because that's how I like to read as well. So that people didn't get too bogged down in the more serious ones. Sure. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think comedy is always the way to, to tackle interesting subjects anyway, but, but also I think just that openness and, and talking about stuff because you know i think like the virginity thing's interesting i mean there's loads of things as a man i find quite interesting because you, you're given obviously the female perspective which is your own perspective <laughs> um but uh that that you know the, the, a man's need to lose his virginity or that big thing of losing your virginity uh and also uh that you're very open about not having come through sex until you're in your mid twenties, but I didn't come through sex until my, <laughs> my mid twenties. Oh, really? it, it was the opposite problem to yours. Yeah. Really, I'd probably practiced too much on my own, whereas yeah. you hadn't practiced enough on at your all. Own. The, yeah, <laughs> but uh, and so I, I wasn't comfortable, uh, you know, with other. I, I wasn't able to release with other people, I suppose, you know. Or really, or, or... I think that I think that must be there must be so many hang ups. for men as well I feel like now there's more of an openness for women to talk about their experiences when it comes to things like that um and I feel like actually you know it's not very often I'm like give men a chance but actually (laughs) there's a there's a second uh there's a second set of um you know opening up the doors to talk about this which is for men to talk about because I do think there's still you know it's hard it's harder really for men to talk about that because of the toxic masculinity standards on them yeah. um to you know you've got all 
all men have got to be like wanting sex all the time and know what they're doing and take charge and you know all of all of those things and actually with everyone sex is is complicated it is and that and to be honest all the problems most of the problems uh, the serious problems come from men and and it's and it's men's you know it is it's men need to talk about it you know which is something i've always wanted to get, get men talking about these things yeah. but i think it you know it is sort of and i think just to even you know that you go into deep into a subject you're not expecting but i think you know even to discuss uh what losing someone's virginity actually means you know and obviously for a woman it's it's slightly different again but but is it penetration is it orgasm is it just breaking your hymen is it you know well, exactly. what do you have to do well, even I mean, I, you know, I talk about the limitations of the sex education that I had at school in the book, but even that, even that sex education, that I remember there was a a woman come in specially. It was like her job to talk to us about sex education, and she did, she did teach us some things. And I remember even her saying like that there was, you know, the myth of that the breaking of the hymen meant that you'd lose your virginity, whether it was. She, even she in her own way was pointing at like the meaningless of that because she gave she gave the examples I remember of like you know if you're into horse riding you might well break your hymen before you've had sex but if you take that further the the meaningless of virginity um and that's not to belittle I know for some for some people you know it means a lot to them that they haven't had sex but you have to accept that it means different things to different people and therefore as a wide social concept that's meant to be understood all over the world, you know, as this thing, it's meaningless because yeah, you know, you can have, you could have given a hundred blowjobs, you know, you could have like had done all kinds of like the highest level kink, like disgusting, <laughs> incredible, <laughs> filthy stuff your whole life, but not actually had a penis go into your vagina. And so yeah. you can declare yourself a virgin and get married in white, you know, like yeah. it's all just so, it's all so ludicrous uh, that I just think, yeah. And so, but, and so clearly based on like things that have been written by men often attached to religion, uh, you know, to restrict women, to keep, to keep them pure and safe and, and property when you interrogate. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And all these things, uh, uh, the patriarchy as you know, I've, I talked about it in my in my book, the problem with men, but I think the men who are upset about uh, Black Lives Matter and all that sort of thing, they're they they are they're as much victims of the patriarchy, unless they're the guys at the top, which most of us aren't. You're as much a victim, in fact, more a victim. And if you don't like the way society is, it's because it's a patriarchy. So, yes. so yeah. you would be better off if we if we if if we could all leave that behind and find something new but but you know i think it, it is i think just something like that just a subject like that is immediately uh just full of you know you you explore it very well but it's 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 a very interesting discussion i think i suppose the the ability of the book because of the format to be able to to leap around from one thing to another is 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 very appealing and i listened to the audiobook uh, version of it oh, which right, is great yeah. Um, and uh, and I have the book as well, but it's um, but yeah, it's, it's a very enjoyable listen. Um, I, I also like a, 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 quite a lot of the times the advice from your audience you think is wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, the the person saying follow your dreams, which again I think is to to dissect all of those sort of platitudes of follow your dreams and you know keep smart you know smile it might never happen that sort of thing which yeah. when I actually when I first saw the book I thought when it was advice from strangers I thought it was going to be like stuff that people had shouted you in the street so <laughs> which, which, which were probably some of it is <laughs> so I thought it was going to be men going cheer up love it might never happen which you do discuss uh but um 
But yeah, so it's it, I, you know I think that follow your dreams thing is is very interesting because you know you should you know as you say it, for you it was like your dreams were too small, but also if your dream as you if you follow your dream and get to a certain point and realize it's not it's not what you thought it would be, yeah, you, you shouldn't yeah, carry like, on following it. That's it, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's a very and I know you might you know I could be accused of just interrogating it too hard, but like it's such. It's such a often said thing in such a positive way. And actually following your dreams, yeah, it needn't be. And I, I've used this, you know, I did it on, I did like a lecture on it for Sarah Pascoe's programme as well. And this was the subject that I ended up doing the graduation speech on to the school. Right. Because I really feel it a lot. And of course, it's based on my experiences. Of course, I'm biased because this is how it's worked out for me. But like, I really think that everyone could benefit from it's basically about being open-minded and in a way following a dream or dreams that you've had set in your head since you were small is actually quite narrow-minded. And, you know, the example I give in the book of Zoella, whatever you think of her, you know, someone like her who that career she's got now didn't exist when she was a younger teenager, like being a professional YouTuber, (laughs) personality she would never have I think I don't think her dream necessarily well it definitely couldn't have been to be a internationally selling YouTuber because that career didn't exist and I don't think she would have probably dreamt of having the fastest selling book in the UK um (laughs) but it happened for her so it just shows you know Keep reevaluating your dreams. You might invent your own dream. And the, the problem is, a lot of people who tell you to follow their dreams are successful people who followed their dreams and been successful. <laughs> but also, there must yeah. be a lot of people. We can't all get to do what we want, so we we can't all be. Uh, I enjoyed when the uh, the Queen Elizabeth Barbie uh, Mattel said, you know, it's an example. There's a Barbie of the Queen to celebrate her 70 years on the throne or whatever it is, uh, and it's. It's to show every girl that if you, if you follow your dream, then anything's possible. You go, no, you can't be the queen, though. You can't have that as a dream. That's taken. Not without some if massive If you work revolution. hard enough, you can become the monarch of the United Kingdom. So, you know, be, real, be realistic, but also, yeah, you know, it's life is about adaptation. And, and it's, I think that's, it's, it is really quite a moving book. And I think it's, you know, it was. I, I really loved the way it kind of it pulled me in, and you know, I was thinking, oh, it's. Got, I think by changing by by not knowing exactly what you're getting. So sorry for ruining it to everyone at home by giving Boiler away that it is <laughs> that it's that it is going to be a sort of surprising journey. Um, you know, it it, it it's sort of a bit discombobulating, which I always love at the start of some when you're watching a TV show or you watch it, and it and there's a bit you're going, oh. I'm not. What is this? What is it? Am, am I going to like this? Is it? Is this? And then it pulls. It, it's not what I was expecting. Am I going to like it? And then it, you know, it pulls you in. And it, I think because of your absolute openness about all of this stuff, um, and uh, you know, and and your um, your personal story over the last few years, and uh, which uh, as we've as we've heard at the very beginning of this podcast has turned out uh, nicely uh, in terms of yeah. having a lovely son now. But um, you do talk about. I mean, I think it's it's uh, this is a very interesting subject uh, and uh, obviously a, a very difficult subject. And you talk about it very eloquently in the book. And I don't particularly want to um, uh, make you talk about it now because people can read the book. But you do talk about miscarriage, which I think, is, again, is one of those subjects that once you talk to people, so many people have experienced. I mean, men and women, because obviously it's it's 
there's two people go to make the baby and um it's sort of i'm surprised at the number of men who if you have this conversation will go oh yeah yeah you know and and it's something that we don't talk about at all really though i've read about this there's another book i've been been reading that that does talk about it as well but uh, was that how difficult was that decision to make to put it in or was it an easy decision to put it in and, and was it was it was it a difficult thing to to write for you? It was, was an it... easy. It was an easy decision to put it in. In fact, yeah. it was part of what made me want to write the book. Like I was wavering actually about whether to write the book, and then it was in hospital uh, during the miscarriage weeks that uh, that I decided I definitely want to write about this. In fact, I think I need to not from a um, selfless, you know let's open up the conversation for society kind of way but for a cathartic personal reason I was like I need to write this down got a lot to think about and it would be helpful for me and it was um and I thought yeah I think it's really interesting about men and miscarriage because I think that is another conversation which I know Jeff Norcott I think has written about in his book because he had a really tragic story and um I think that as as little as as much as miscarriage is not always talked about, late miscarriage, um, which can almost seem like there's a grey area there between, in a way, it's more like an early stillbirth, yeah. really, um, like is less common uh, and therefore less talked about. And then you've got men talking about it because I will say that actually, like all of my women friends like you know were so all of all of the talking about it that I did do (laughs) was with women um and I did feel that and I know with Marcus my husband like people would say how's Rachel yeah and I it's not that I think that was the right question to ask (laughs) because it was (laughs) it was rough um but also I think there is uh there are conversations perhaps not being not being had um amongst yeah. many of lost babies because it's just not as it's just not as done is it and we are women are a bit more used to talking about uh, in detail about biology and about incredibly difficult you know thing going through tragic things and and just the i think because it's so uh, visceral what happens it makes it very hard to talk about to any friends. One, Lou Conran, who was a huge support, um, she had a similar thing happen to her and she got in touch with us when we were going through it. And she said, one thing to be ready for is that it will be you doing the comforting. Um, You'll have to pat people and go, it's okay when you tell them about it because they won't be able to cope with what actually happened, the reality of what happened. And that that was true. (laughs) I remember sort of talking openly about what actually happened to like a close friend and she had gone completely white and I think was actually in shock. Um, and I remember thinking, right, yeah, not everyone can, <laughs> if you haven't been there, you can't, <laughs> you can't necessarily actually cope with it. So yeah, there it's, it's not that I think everyone should be talking about it all the time because it is awful. Yeah. And there is, I do now think, you know, there is a reason that, for everything from difficult traumatic labor to loss is there's a reason that it's not talked about all the time but it needs to be there if you go looking i think that's the only thing yeah if you're well, looking I think it's for good it's you it, find it it's uh, you know it's a, it's a it's a beautifully written uh, 
piece and you know it's it's extremely moving and uh it's you know and great and it's again i suppose that's not when you pick up this book it might not be <laughs> what you're expecting the best thing you expect <laughs> but but then i think again that is you know I, i'm right i've just finished writing a book and this is you know a similar area but i'm not comparing it, it uh in, in terms of uh trauma uh but i'm i'm writing a book about um my testicular cancer and losing a testicle, which again, I, just, I you know, it is useful for other people to read it, but it was much more useful for me to write it and to to try yes. and process it all. Um, but also, uh, the thing, that, <laughs> the thing that really struck me writing it was how much worse the whole experience was for my wife than for me because I was able to talk about it and you know and process it, and she, who she's a very uh, pessimistic, negative person. <laughs> <laughs> and she had to be positive and also do all sorts of horrible things along the way to help me out. Uh, and I kind of think someone should be, she should be writing this book about, how, <laughs> about her extremely traumatic experience as her husband got to have two months off childcare, <laughs> which to be honest was, uh, was, uh, was, uh, was, uh, was, uh, was, it was almost worth it, but, uh, but not, not yeah, I, I don't think I want to lose the other one for another month off, but um <laughs> <laughs> but no it's, I read, it's, I, read Lu- I read Lucy Beaumont's book recently and she's got uh footnotes from her husband John Richardson oh, right. so that like just any story that she tells that he's basically disagrees with and is like this is not really true this is didn't play out like this at all and I don't remember this happening exactly like this so yeah. it's quite a clever way of doing it. <laughs> that's really good there are points where I thought I should shall I shall I ask there's one thing I asked Katie about which was when did we have when did we first have sex after the after the, which is obviously a big deal because it was a yeah. while and neither of us can remember, remember. You were like, I think we've we had must it. Have, we must have it. had it, have we not? Um... <laughs> but you'd think that would be something you could remember. That's the only thing I asked her about. But she went, no, I can't. I, don't know. I said, I can't remember. Um, but that, I remember, uh, this isn't in the book, but like the <laughs> the midwives after giving birth with Billy, um, being so set on me not getting knocked up again and going now let's talk now about contraception and they did it in every meeting they were like let's talk about contraception really important what are you using tell me all about your contraception because you do know that you can get pregnant even if you're breastfeeding and I was like you do not need to be worrying about this at this stage like we we are each other's contraception you really don't need to be worrying but I did this, again, this isn't in the book, but like I, um, I didn't know. This makes me sound really stupid now, but I didn't know that you could. St- I think I'd heard that you were unlikely to get your period again while you were breastfeeding. Yeah. I and I don't know where I read that. If I read it on some like crank website or something, but I thought that was the case, um, or at least for like if you weren't breastfeeding that long, like I only breastfed for like six months and I thought I probably was unlikely to get a period. And I started getting my period at like five months and I thought it must not be my period. So I was very worried and alarmed <laughs> that I was bleeding <laughs> down there. And I called a doctor and she was like, right, so just take me through it again. What's happening? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm bleeding from the vagina. And she was like, yeah. And what and I said yeah but I've had a baby and I'm breastfeeding and she was like yeah 
I mean, I think this is your period. <laughs> like, as, if, as if I was like a, pro, like a really like problem patient who didn't know about periods. And I said like, no, I know what a period is. It's just that I thought that while I was breastfeeding, that wouldn't happen. And she said, then she got really worried because she thought I believed all the myths. And she went once again into you do know that you can get pregnant while you're breastfeeding. And I was like, God, yes, yes, I know that. You've been told that. It's interesting. I mean, I think that, again, I found my experience that there wasn't, you know, there is it, there is lots of cloud around all that sort of stuff. And, the, you know, the one doctor was saying, don't have, we had to, after the chemotherapy, you, use yeah. con, you have to use condoms for several months. Didn't say how many months. And, so, and the nurse at the, at the, when I said that, because they hadn't clarified, I said to the nurse at the Then I felt like a right book. It's like, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. The original, the original nurse went, oh, yeah, you're quite young, aren't you? You might want to have sex again. Oh, most of my cancer patients don't have sex. And then I was at the having chemotherapy again. So how long is it? <laughs> and she said, oh, it's a few, just a few. But they all seemed kind of really confused that I was asking the question. I was this horny little chemotherapy patient <laughs> we couldn't wait i was actually kind of wondering how long before you know with the doctor with the oncologist i was wondering how long it would be you know set where would it be safe you know to yeah after having the operation but he took it as being after the chemotherapy so it was lucky i asked the question because I, I didn't no one actually said don't have sex directly after chemotherapy or you'll kill your partner <laughs> Some kind so, of radioactive. But but if you look it up on you know, if you look things up online, there's not it's not there's not great information about stuff like this. So it is it is weird that these old wives' tales and um, you know, that, that there's this still this embarrassment around sex and you know, per- is all the things you talk about, periods, orgasms, yeah. all this stuff. That even doctors really it's there's a sort of awkwardness about talking about it. And it is, you know, mm-hmm. it's sort of fascinating. I, I think that I think the more people can talk about it and the more we can get to the the bottom i mean a lot yeah a lot of this stuff just does go back i think to those patriarchal religions and the the, the rules that are sort of so embedded in our in our psyches and our childhoods that it's kind of hard to i think so and the old wives tales obviously the, the problem really with the old wives tales is that some of them are true or yeah. perhaps even all of them are true for a few people so then you can't just like that's why they haven't been dismissed years ago is because someone might go their whole life with every old wives tale being true and going well turns out superstition is all true actually factual uh, but it just won't be true for another person so um there's endless sort of like things like that that you hear like there's so many around pregnancy because pregnancy involves so much guesswork um that they had to invent something for you to tell yourself when you're, you know, worried or curious. But actually, for some of those things, they'll be true and for some of them, they aren't. So, yeah, I just can't, I I can't tell you how much Googling I did around pregnancy and the first few months, but just endless, endless. And I was cross with Marcus that he didn't. I was like, (laughs) I'm spending like hours of my day Googling what this means, how I should be doing this, what the baby doing this means, what's he doing, like, what should he be doing? And I was like, why on earth aren't you desperately <laughs> doing? Why don't your thumbs ache? <laughs> it's the when we when we had our kids, and so, so definitely the first kid, 
Katie read all the books and kept leaving all the books out for me, and I read about a chapter <laughs> of one of them. I said, "We'll work. We'll work it out." We did work it out, you know. Yeah, and by the second one, you'll just read, she, uh, it'll be yeah, fine. No, you don't care the second, but also <laughs> she had to be fair. She'd read all the books, so that, that, right. <laughs> that did help. Um, uh, would, would, we'll just uh, mention a couple more bits from the from the book, and then I'll, we'll talk a little about maybe the process of writing and and that sort of mm. thing. But um, I, weirdly, the what the chapter found quite moving because you hit on a couple of. Uh, songs that are quite important to me was where you were talking about music and the importance of uh, banging music and and like actually we we also had uh we had i'm a believer as we came away from our wedding so that we 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 had that which, which is one of the songs you talk about and also tim mentions um when i grow up is is just like it's like a like a very moving song but also when we went to see it with um with uh, the second time we took ernie to see it and he's a bit too young for it and he was you know a bit jittery and then that song came on he was really enjoying it um mm-hmm. and it's it's it's, a, it's very moving as you say because it's it's about kids not really knowing what being grown up is and what they imagine being grown up to be and but then the teacher starts miss honey starts singing when i grow up as well she starts singing it and ernie very loudly said you're already grown up. <laughs> and, and everybody, like in the whole balcony, just pissed themselves laughing. He, he, turned, to, he turned to Katie and said, What? She is? <laughs> That's so, so, so cute. Yeah, so I love the song anyway, but then I've got that additional, uh, the additional little thing. <laughs> and, he, and he loves making people laugh, but he was confused. You know, it's that, it's that com- comedic instinct he's got, but. Yeah. But also then confusion about why people are laugh. But yeah, that, that's that's a that's a. I think again, there's a lovely chapter which will make people think of their own, um, you know, their own bangers and their own their own music that's sort of important to them. But um, let's talk. So we sort of you sort of said that the publishers came to you to ask for a book. Really, is the is they is did. I I wish it was a I wish it was a, a romantic idea. Of I've always had this burning <laughs> wish to write this book. But I mean, you can tell from the book that that's not true because. You know, I wouldn't have always had a burning wish to write a book about 25 different subjects based on the last three years of my life. Like, you know, of course, it's 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 a book that I put together because I had the incredible opportunity given to me yeah. <laughs> to write a book and I wanted to make the most of it. Um, but no, I, I, I really I really enjoyed writing it. Well, no, I really enjoyed writing the first third of it because... <laughs> That you've written quite quite a lot of books, haven't you? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I've written. I mean, there's different types of books. I mean, I would say I've written four books that take some writing, and a few books that yeah. don't take much writing. I don't know how it works after this one, but for me, like, because it was my first book, the first third was stuff that I wanted to talk about for years. That was not the autobiographical stuff, apart from like the hospital stay. Most of the easy bits of writing that came first were stuff that poured out of me because I've been thinking it either my whole life or for the last few years. And it's the stuff that, you know, everyone says everyone's got a book in them. Mm-hmm. Like I think everyone's got a few chapters in them, <laughs> not a whole book. And then I definitely hit a really clear point where I was really enjoying, I had to do about um, eight. I, I set my own deadlines and I set them at like about 8,000 words a month um and i think that's right maybe it was 10,000 but like that was working out absolutely fine for the first like 2 or 3 months and then i hit the point where i'd run out of things to say and it was really 
it was a really clear like jolt of oh god I've got like 50,000 words left to write and I've run out of ideas but it was just that it was just the difference between it was just recalibrating in your brain between like what just poured out what fell out of your brain and you already know what you want to say about it to actually taking the time to think do I actually think about this and what is something interesting to say about this um so yeah I found I found it like easy and then really hard (laughs) well it's kudos to you because like obviously I think any publisher would have been happy if they'd just said it's Rachel from the MASH report here she is talking about that (laughs) I mean you 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 do mention the MASH report but here's a chapter where she writes out what her little speech and puts a couple of drawings and has a picture (laughs) of her in a funny hat so you know it's it's really you know it's not a cash-in it could easily be a cash-in book and again you might you might think oh you know what's this gonna what's this book gonna be and you could have taken that route so you have written an actual <laughs> book that, although it is very much your own, it's it's not reliant on it being Rachel Paris from the Mass Report. Or it whatever. definitely, it definitely, Richard would have sold better if I'd done a cash-in <laughs> book where I'd repeated speeches from the Mass Report and they'd called it Rachel off the Mass Report book about the Mass Report. <laughs> AKA late night mash like that yeah. definitely would have been a better seller. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's you know, but it's it's interesting because like with it, it, those things like the, you're talking about the number of you get to a certain number of words and you work out how many words you're writing. Although Jenny Claire was talking to me on Twitter saying only men care about the word count. I just write the book, but like I knew mine had to be eighty thousand words. And you're writing the story, you know. I'm right. I had at least had a story to write, and I was putting extra information in as well in between the chapters. But I was kind of thinking, is this going to, you know, am I going to get anywhere near it? Yeah. <laughs> is it going to work out? As it turned out, I think the final second draft is 81,000 words. Wow. So it kind of just came out almost exactly yeah. right, just just by, without me really trying to. I certainly didn't do anything to put fill it. I took stuff out rather than putting more stuff in. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it is... It, it's it's a difficult thing. I, mean, I, I found this book, my latest book, quite easy to write just because it was it was all about something that had happened. Uh, I've got a, I've, because I write a blog, a lot of it was laid out for me, at least, you know, as a, a timeline. Yeah. And and it was fairly obvious what how I was going to do it. But yeah, I mean, that sort of, I think when I wrote The Problem With Men, which again was like, it was a bit like this in that it's sort of 19 chapters of a thousand words each all about yeah. a subject. Um, and, it, and I remember getting really bogged down for a while with, you know, what were the chapters going to be and... Um, how the hell was I going to do it? And, you know, it isn't just a matter of going, I'm going to sit there. For some writers it is, but uh, Barbara Carpenter, I think, could sit down and just write for two hours and write 5,000 words and then go. I think that's <laughs> what she did. I think she just wrote every day, and some people can do that. But obviously it's there's more to it than that, and I think that is, it is, I think writing a book is the absolute hardest thing of all the, I mean, you've done lots of different types of writing and improvising, and I think it's. I think yeah. writing a book is so intense and... I found it really hard. And I, I would think, I don't know, obviously there's lots of different personality types within comedy, but what we all are is performers who obviously like immediacy and an immediate reaction and the ability to sort of think on our feet and cobble something together at the last minute. And I, I do like, you know, proper writing and academic writing. Yeah. And I enjoyed it at school. But even at school, it was always really last minute. At uni, it was really last minute. And I definitely, uh, the re- the only reason I was able to write a book was to say, I need you to make these deadlines serious and to tell me off <laughs> if I don't meet them. <laughs> because I have no 
I have very little like self-discipline. That's what I found hard was this long term. I've got a year Hmm. to write all of this and none of it can be you get none you know the incredible things you can sometimes come up with in the moment under pressure yeah like I did um breaking the news you know the Scottish radio yes. uh satirical show and I'd I thought I'd prepared well for it I'd prepared like a lot of jokes for it but it turns out that at the end of each news topic the host asks three specific questions for you to answer. And I'd prepared nothing in answer to those three <laughs> questions for the entire show. Oh. So the recording began and I was like, oh my God, I've got nothing. And it was such a good exercise in being forced to come up with stuff in the moment um, yeah. and all your plot going to shit. <laughs> so um, with the book, I found it, I found it very hard that there's none of that adrenaline rush of coming up with material in the moment. Yeah. Um, I wonder if anyone writes like that. There must be like a way of harnessing that to write a book. I don't know. I think like like when I write my blog, I think that's the closest it can get because sometimes just writing like without really thinking, just I've got to do something and it's going to be about something that happened, but let's see what comes out of it. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. that is like coming up with it. And sometimes it is coming up with a stand-up routine. Sometimes <laughs> it's like when you're on stage or, you know, improvising and just something amazing comes out and you're typing and it and it does go amazing. You know, it turns into that immediate, this is at least the three quarters of a routine here, you know, yeah. just straight away. And I sometimes get that if you really get into an, it's sort of almost switching your brain off, isn't it? So it's all, you've, you've got to get going, and then you've you've almost got to let your fingers go on their own. So it's surprising yeah. you, but it is a it is a very difficult thing to, do, and you can't do it over a protracted period. I think you can do it for half an hour, twenty minutes, and you might hit a bit of form. You might go, oh, I've really got a great you know bit in here, which I'm sure you've you've experienced. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's um, yeah, it's I just it's it's tough, and I think the thing with deadlines is that that it I am also pretty sure after having written several books and having missed lots of deadlines to be fair but i'm pretty sure that most editors work that into their deadline so i'm aware that the deadline they give you is not the deadline the deadline yeah. is like a month <laughs> away from the deadline and i was exact i was six weeks late for i was maybe four weeks late for my first draft for the for this one but i was i did ask permission but i knew but i also knew I guess once the, once an editor gets to know you and knows whether you can do it as well, it's less of an issue, I suppose. But yeah, uh, but it is. Uh, yeah. I really push that though because I thought that was probably the case, and then I feel like I was very underprepared for the actual deadline, and I was actually on. I was abroad when the actual handing in your actual book deadline right. is, and I say this if, like, you know, when it's only when you've written a book you understand there's like these, there's like so many like you say, sort of arbitrary, like there's this edit and this edit and this edit. And that feels like that's the end of the book. And then they're like, no, but then look over this version again. And then that's the end of the book. And then they're like, no, but have a read of that. And we'll re-edit it. And the actual final, final handing in was while I was abroad. And I didn't know that that was it. That was the actual final thing. And they had to like, it took like three people telling me that it was actually it for me to believe it. And I had to like write my acknowledgements in the book in like 15 minutes um, <laughs> while I was on holiday holding the, a hot baby. And it's just like, oh God, who do I thank? 
Who do I thank? Do I thank everyone or hardly anyone? Because <laughs> if you do it in between, you're going to offend people. You've got to do everyone you know or like two people. I found that hard. <laughs> yeah, it's well, those things. Those things are hard. Yeah, and it's and I think like it's the minute you've handed it in, I've already had other ideas. Though what I'm, we'll talk about the audiobook in a second. I've said to my new thing and my what I think is quite a good idea as an author is if you read your own books in the audiobook, which which most people do uh, now. Um, is get do the audiobook almost immediately so that if there's anything that's really wrong because yeah. however much you read through it you don't read through it but if you actually read the whole thing you know you spot all the mistakes straight away you work out Absolutely. what's missing and you can add stuff back in up to a certain extent so you know you can get your with the last one they managed even though the book was absolutely about to be published with the problem of men i spotted like two or three quite serious mistakes and I said, oh, it'd be really good if we can do it. They said, oh, we can do it for the second print. And they managed to, they managed to change them. But I think if you do it early. Same. Did, I, had, I had the same advice from like yeah. Ellie Taylor and from right. said like, yeah, do it so that you, because they didn't, I think, and right. spotted errors and it was too late. So they were yeah. like, do it earlier. So yeah, that was, good. That was yeah, a good so shout because there were plenty of errors. Did you enjoy doing the audiobook? Was it, uh, I mean, the lovely thing about the audiobook, which is in the book, but only as a written thing, but you end on a song with yeah. the book. I hope that's not too much of a spoiler, but with the audiobook, you actually get the song, which again is, I think, hearing it is again quite a moving experience. So um, do listen to the audiobook. Did you enjoy doing your own audiobook? I did. I'm, I'm glad that I did it um, because I think, you know, so much of it is tone, isn't it? Like, I know what I mean. And I yeah. think you're the person who's best able to put across what you mean. Um, yeah. But uh, I did find it really hard. And I remember actually at the end of the few days doing it, I was like, oh, I will leave it to the professionals next time. I won't. But like, it was it was really hard. Like, just my throat was like gone. Yes. <laughs> I'm just croaking my way through it. I don't know how voice artists do it. It's a lot when it's reading a whole book, you know, thinking about people who do like, you know, middle March or something like that, which is, you know, 25 hours of, of books. I don't know. God knows how long it takes. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. And did when you started, well, I remember the first audiobook I did, they'd, they'd let me do the whole chapter, first chapter, and they said, let's go back and do that again. And, and uh, you can slow down a little bit. You know, I just wonder whether they let you have a, a, they let you have a run at it and then they go, and then did it take you to get the pace right? Did it take you time to get the pace right? No, I wish they had. Um, I had like almost no direction at right. all. Um, by the, like after a few hours, you know, there was a sort of direct there, but they left after a few hours and then it was just right. me and the operator. Yeah. Um, and I wish I had. I would have loved some direction. I enjoy I enjoy it. I've been, um, I listen to audiobooks at the moment for most people on 1.3 speed so i had you slightly sped up just because i can i think you know then you can get through a bit more <laughs> yeah yeah but it's partly just deadlines but also i don't think it makes that much difference so it's slightly okay. but that but i had dar o'breen on the on the rahalas podcast the other day and i listened to him on a podcast at, at one and a half speed and it's absolutely impossible to understand. <laughs> yeah it depends who it is <laughs> it does so uh but you you were fine at 1.3 is all i'm gonna say so good, good. you don't uh, <laughs> Speed up. You can speed up a little bit uh, <laughs> if you want to get through it quicker. Um, well, look, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go in a second. It's, I, I think we talked more about the, the the serious stuff, but there's tons of really really funny chapters in it, uh, as well as uh, uh, as well as those those more serious things. And and just I think just excellent advice as well. There's, and, I'll and, tell you like, one of the 
Go. One of the chapters that did, uh, you know, we were talking about um, when the occasional moments in writing a book where you do just just go off on one and it's easy and it just reels off your mind. It was the spoof Jane Austen chapter. Right. Because that's actually not at all like Ostentatious, the show I do. Like, you know, it, it wasn't at all like what we do, really. So it was it was quite fun to write. Uh, you know, a sort of spoof script for a terrible Jane Austen slash Bridgerton yes. episode, yeah. but doing doing basically what I think people who think they hate ostentatious <laughs> think ostentatious is, okay. um, and it was really fun to write that. <laughs> That's good. I heard uh, there was a, I was listening to a podcast uh, Reply All, which is about this guy. Uh, there's an episode about this guy. It's from a, co- a couple of years ago. I've just come across it about a guy who. Um, remembered a song from the 1990s that no one else remembered and could sing it and he managed to put it all together and he had all the lyrics and stuff and it sounded very much like the bare naked ladies and so the podcast guy talked to the bare naked ladies to say and he said and the, the bare naked ladies singer says yeah this is what people think the bare naked ladies <laughs> <laughs> although it did uh, but it's a that's a uh, if you want a, a fantastic podcast uh, that is a, I recommend that podcast it's uh it's full of uh surprises we won't talk about it anymore because we're talking about uh fantastic rich Paris. um yeah and you know just it, there's a, the, you pack a lot in that's what's enjoyable so there's 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 plenty of stuff uh, that we haven't talked about that people will enjoy uh I I agree with you about do feed the trolls. There's a there's a chapter about don't feed the trolls, but that's it's things are more complicated, and it's lovely that you've got uh, proper time to uh, discuss that. And I also like that a couple of the chapters are like a sentence long. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I I very much enjoy the, the dismissiveness of that. But um, the equivalent, yes. of, I think the phrase is timeline cleanse. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> in a book. <laughs> but it's great, you know. But it's fun. But that's sort of thing. What's really fun about this format, and uh, you know, I have to say, I'm so impressed with what you've done with it because, as I say, I think uh, somebody else uh, less. Uh, diligent may have, may have may have coasted through this this idea and uh you have not only explored it very fully and you used that it was all about getting a, a speech for your uh, that you're going to do at your school right so you've used that yeah. chapter about don't follow the follow yeah follow it was it was basically that and then the song at the end essentially yeah yeah Fab- fabulous well people are going to very much enjoy it you thank can you. get it wherever you get your books thank you very much uh, to rachel for joining us to talk thank about you it. thanks for having me that's my pleasure thanks to chris evans not that one for sorting everything out and next week uh, if you want to read the book in advance hopefully as long as everything goes to plan i'm talking to matt winning about his funny but incredibly depressing book <laughs> hot mess about uh, the way the world is is about to end I think he's got, I haven't got to the end yet. I hope he's got some solutions. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Rachel. Thank you. See you again. See you soon.